welcome to the Grammy Museum. We're so happy you're here. I'm gonna give you this sticker. You're gonna put it on your shirt. You're gonna take the elevator up to the fourth floor, work your way down. We have three floors worth of exhibits. Up on the fourth floor, we have Michael Jackson, Peggy Lee. On the third floor, we have our brand new Shakira exhibit. It's interactive. She's here through the end of next year. We also have our Monitu immersive room where you go in and it's com you're completely surrounded by music and how it's progressed kind of throughout music history and the Grammys. We have our red carpet exhibit where we have outfits from last year's red carpet from different celebrities like Billie Eilish. On our second floor, it's our temporary exhibit. It's about the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And we have our Clive Davis Theater where if you go in there, it's a 200 seat theater. You can sit down, take a look. We've got um, some really cool videos playing in there right now. On our first floor here, we have our gift shop. We have a lot of different options. We were featured our Shakira exhibit. Merchandise wise about different forms of music, different artists. We change it out pretty frequently. So it's pretty cool to take a look whenever you get the chance and try to buy stuff before we sell out. And we are very happy to have you. If you have any questions, please let us know. All righty, welcome back to another Members Pass podcast episode. And today we find ourselves in the lovely LA Live neighborhood. In this area where we're at, it holds a big, big, big sentimental place in my heart, only because this is where my family came in the 70s. This institution here, in a sense, is a, it's, it's a mixture of pop culture. I definitely wanted to make sure that we stopped here and made this one of our first episodes to go ahead and introduce you all to a side of LA Live that most may see as a hidden gem. With that being said, go ahead and introduce yourself. Good morning, my name is Jason Emmons and I'm the chief curator and VP of Curatorial Affairs at the Grammy Museum. Right now, we're sitting in our beautiful 200-seat theater, the Clive Davis Theater at the Grammy Museum in downtown LA. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with us today. This is so exciting. Talk to us about the programming that can be expected in this room alone. The public programs here are incredible. I mean, almost uh, you know, three, four nights a week, uh, there's different artists that can range from musicians to filmmakers to... Broadway stars sharing how they do their work. Um, it's often a conversation, like 45-minute interview, where they're talking about their creative process and their work, but then followed by a performance. And it's given that it's only 200 seats, it's very intimate. People feel really connected. There's not a bad seat in the house. For so many people, it feels like it's the closest you get to an artist. This space being so intimate, you can definitely feel like you're a part of the production. Talk to us about what does a day-to-day -day look like for you? My role is to help figure out what are we doing as a museum. So looking at the calendar and figuring out what stories should we be telling, um, what stories aren't being told that we ought to think about telling, and how can we create experiences for visitors that are incredibly memorable. What are the top three components that come to mind that you, you definitely always have to hit? You know, I think one thing is just looking at some aspect of popular music that feels exciting, that it feels relevant. Um, is this an artist or a genre that feels important right now? Are, is, are exciting things happening? Are there artifacts available that we could display to help tell this story? Artifacts aren't the only way to tell the story, but it's, a, it's one of the key parts of doing it. So you want to find artists or genres where there's material that you can display, whether that's instruments or clothing or handwritten material. And then, you know, I think the third thing is just what's that, what's the audience that we're really speaking to? Because, you know, we're always trying to be mindful of, we've got a very diverse set of audiences. Do you come from the traditional arts background or how did you know this was going to be your lane? 
mean? Yeah, really good question. I mean, I came from, a, I think, a very unconventional approach, like lifelong music fan. But honestly, I, I, uh, I went to graduate school at the University of Washington, and I got a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. I wrote a novel about a drummer uh, in a band called Cowboy Angst, which was also the name of the novel that later got published. And I was honestly working as a multimedia producer, because it uh, turns out writing novels doesn't pay very well. And at one point, uh, there was an opening for a position at a new museum called Experience Music Project. And this is in Seattle, Washington. It was founded by Paul Allen, who was the co-founder of Microsoft. And Paul Allen was deeply influenced uh, creatively by two things, Jimi Hendrix and science fiction. And the museum was, was inspired by his love of Jimi Hendrix. And so I originally hired on for nine months uh, to help open the museum and do uh, lots of the multimedia. And, you know, a lot of people tell me this is a really bad career move. Like, this job's only going to last nine months, then you're going to be out of work. And my approach was, hey, if I do a great job, maybe they'll keep me around. Right. I ended up being there for 20 years. And it was always about how do we tell a story uh, that's compelling. I would be remiss if I were to not talk about your traveling exhibition experience. Talk to us about that. Again, I think that this podcast serves as a dual role, not only to feature some of these institutions, but talk to and get to know the people behind these, you know, legacy institutions. It's really fun and incredibly challenging. And we have this amazing small team here that makes it possible. And I think during the course of the last 15 years, the museum has traveled over 35 exhibits to probably 150 different venues. And that has been from domestic sites, you know, museums around the United States and, and Canada, but also to the Kremlin. And it's challenging, right? Because you, you create them and they're in your, your gallery where you have everything that you need, all your lighting, all, everything is right there. And then you have to go to this new building, which you don't know, <laughs> and it's not shaped like, you know, the one you just came from. And you've got to figure out, okay, how do we rethink this? So what's fun about it is that every time it goes somewhere different, the exhibit sort of morphs and becomes something else. And I think that's part of the joy. And often people don't realize when they go to an exhibition in, in an institution, like it may not have been created by that particular institution. They've brought it in. And often what will happen, well, a museum will add something new to the exhibit. Like, for example, we have a Beatles exhibit about the Beatles in America. It's now going to its 14th venue. It'll be this fall in De Pere, Wisconsin. And, you know, every time we take it to a new place, we try and individualize it to that city. So given that it's going to Wisconsin, we'll add something about the Beatles playing. Turned out they played there in September 4th, 1964 in Milwaukee. So we'll reach out, find tickets from that show, program from that show. We'll talk to people who went to that show and make that a part of it when it goes to Wisconsin. So really trying to localize it so people can feel the connection like, oh, this is a band that's not only a global phenomenon, but they were in my community. For those that have never visited this institution, how was it broken up? What can they expect? We have four different floors. And generally what we like people to do is start on the fourth floor. And that the Grammys, you know, is, is every genre of music um, throughout the world. So the, it's really important to cast a really wide net. So the top floor, we like people to begin on the top floor because it really looks at the big idea of what is popular music. What are the roots of it? Where does it come from? From sacred music to classical music to folk music. So that people can kind of understand how did it begin? Uh, we have a table on the, on the fourth floor that's interactive that looks at 183 different music genres. So you can understand this sort of constellation of genres and how they're connected to one another. 
On the third floor, uh, one of our displays that we change annually is called On the Red Carpet, and that displays glamorous outfits that people wore from last year's Grammy Awards. That includes the Grammys and also the Latin Grammys. The way that people dress, the you know, symbolism of what they wear, all of that sort of reflected in that area. It's highly popular. We've had Harry Styles there a couple times. We've got a new Harry Styles outfit coming out in a couple weeks. We have a lot of teens and tweens who show up just for that outfit, want to touch the glass, get as close as they can to Harry's clothing. Um, but that's also where we have the, um, the Latin music gallery. And so that's a rotating space. And again, that's this idea that you know museums are constantly changing. They're constantly evolving. We have a theater that features great Grammy moments. So if you haven't been to the Grammys in a while or you wanted to see some of the best moments, this film, which is about 30 to 5 to 40 minutes long, features some of those great memorable moments. And then on the second floor, also too, one more thing on the third floor, we have a, a really great experience called Mono to Immersive, and that traces the evolution of recorded sound. From early wax cylinders, when you have very scratchy recordings, up through immersive sound. And what it does, it takes a performance, say by Rosalia, and it'll take you through, like, here's her performance, you're watching a video of her, but you're gonna hear it as if it were on wax cylinder. And then here's what it sounds like when it comes to phonograph, monograph. And then it goes to 33 and a third. And then it goes to cassette. And you can hear orally how that sound sometimes improves and sometimes, like with MP3s, doesn't improve. And then the room kind of explodes when it becomes immersive sound. So you're completely, you know, the whole room is working together. But it's really a great way to understand how technology deeply affects the way that we listen to music. It's something we often don't think about, but you know whether it's the experience of listening to music in your car, if you have a great story and you're feeling it up through the seat, or if you're here listening to it through a single earbud, if you're sharing it with a friend and you're hearing it in mono, all of these things affect the way that we think and hear music. So it's really fun in that. It's very visceral. I always get goosebumps when the music kicks in, in the full room. But and a, and a reminder too of just how music evolves. Um, sometimes for the better and sometimes for worse. I'm excited. I got two more questions for you. I'm eager to get out here and start <laughs> taking this um, whole institution and, and this exhibition in. Uh, one, uh, I know a lot of people may have may be familiar with the award show, but can you talk to us about the significance of uh, receiving one of these awards? What can it do to an artist once they receive a Grammy? For many artists, winning a Grammy can be career-changing, life-changing. It's not just like, it's the, it is this great imprimatur of, you know, you've really achieved something. And, it, you know, it's voted on by your peers. So it's that part of it, too, of your peers acknowledging you're really good at what you do. But from a promoter's perspective, by being able to say, hey, Grammy award-winning person, it might lift, you know, the amount of money that you're being able to, you know, earn every night significantly. You know, it might go up, you know, 25 to 50 percent in terms of what your earning is. So if you're a singer songwriter and you're struggling to get by, you win a Grammy, it might be suddenly like, hey, I can really make a living at this and thrive. Because, you know, you and I both know it's never easy being an artist. You know, some people have the good fortune of having commercial success. For other people, it's a daily struggle. It's, it's not an easy way to make a living. To be a Grammy winner from an economical perspective can be greatly beneficial. And a number of artists have said, hey, when I won a Grammy, it was the first time my parents or my spouse or maybe a sibling said, hey, 
you're actually good at this, right? And sometimes you need that outside recognition for your own family members or friends to be able to say, you know, it's, it's worth it. I'm glad you hung in there. Um, because again, this can be, it's, it's challenging. With that being said, and with the amount of, um, I don't want to say pressure, with the amount of, what's the word I'm looking for here? With, with the amount of eyeballs looking at your work on a year-to-year basis, how do you celebrate yourself? Whenever, let's say, there's an exhibit opening, I love to have my family and my friends there because they recognize how much work goes into it, even if others don't. Much of this work is behind the scenes. And so it's great to be able to have them be a part of it, particularly as you're working on it, because, you know, my spouse is hearing about what I do every day. And um, to be able to share with that with her, with my two daughters, like when we had the Shakira opening, they all came out. It just, it means so much because they understand that more than anyone what goes into it. They take great pride in the work that I do, and I love being able to share it with them. So I think for me, it's family and friends around that, that really makes it feel special. Jason, enough of the talk. Please take me. I'm going to follow you all the way. We will be right back. Thank you so much for this. Oh, this is a great pleasure. Thank you. Oh my goodness. I'm just so elated, so happy. Let's get started. And I think one of the one of the things I want to say, there is no way somebody can come here and say you're done in less than 45 minutes. From beginning to end, from the elevator ride that puts you right up top of, you know, overlooking uh, LA Live and, and the downtown area, you are uh, immersed from the beginning. And I think that I just want you to go ahead and uh, just highlight a few pieces, but can you tell us a little bit about what they see as they come in with, with the uh, legacy of the awards? Yeah, it's a really dramatic opening when you first step out of the elevators. There's what we call Grammy Hall, <clears throat> and there's projections on both sides of the room that feature uh, footage of people accepting their Grammy Awards, performing. It's dramatic and uh, it's exciting. And then down the center of the room are five small cases, each featuring a small Grammy Award that really traced the evolution of the award itself. Like when it first started, you know, the Grammy gramophone was actually quite small. And over time, they, they tweaked it until it, it got bigger. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And segueing from there and, of, of course, the king of pop, right? Yeah, we have an amazing Michael Jackson display. It's, you know, five different jackets, including his thriller jacket. Um, <clears throat> bejeweled as well, as well as bejeweled gloves. And also, too, you know, just the scale of Michael Jackson, you know, for those of us who never met him, you know, just to get a sense of, like, how big is this person? And you realize, you know, he's a larger-than-life figure, but it's fun just to see in real life what's the physical scale. It's time for the highlight, the creme de la creme, the featured exhibition. If you could see my face, I have the Kool-Aid smile right now because this woman represents my teenage years, and I think that you know, and I can't speak for other cultures, but for the Latino culture here in Los Angeles, man, I remember all of my tias, all of my aunts painting their hair blonde, wearing <laughs> wearing these crop top shirts. The list goes on. Let's get right into it. Tell us what people can expect at this Shakira, Shakira exhibition. We have a Latin music gallery, uh, which we opened right before the pandemic. And we uh, we've done, I think the Shakira is now the third exhibition that we've done in that space. We Prior to that, we had a Marco Antonio Solis exhibit. And then with, with Shakira, she's the first female Latin artist that we've featured in that space. 
So for us, um, that was probably a, I don't know, a seven-month process to put that exhibit together. After working on it, I just, my admiration and love of her is, is even greater. We really wanted to show just how multifaceted she is. Like a lot of people sometimes think of her as like, oh, really amazing pop you know, star, great dancer. But, you know, she's also, she's a songwriter. She's a producer. She's a multi-instrumentalist. I mean, just so gifted, so charismatic. So trying to show her in the fullness of Shakira. And I have to tell you, yesterday I was on the third floor where this exhibit is, and I saw a family, husband and wife, and their 10-year-old son, roughly, uh, approaching the exhibit. And the moment that the woman heard Shakira, she immediately started singing along, immediately started dancing, which just made me so happy. And that's the Shakira effect, right? So, yeah, and that exhibit really trying to show all aspects of her. She loaned nearly everything that's in the exhibit um, from her personal archive. She agreed to do a, an hour filmed interview that we then used as uh, exhibit film in the space. And really, you know, it's a really fun process because like with somebody like Shakira, she's had a career that's now over 30 years long. I mean, she started at a very young age. She's only 46 now. But really trying to figure out, okay, what's the essence of Shakira? And how do we communicate that in a way that's compelling? She and her team were so helpful. Like, you know, what can we provide? They provided, you know, separated songs so that people can listen to the different tracks so they can better understand how she puts her songs together. Handwritten songs, instruments that she's played, outfits that she wore at the Super Bowl. And, you know, for us, when we were thinking about that exhibit, one of the common things we thought about was Shakira's always in motion. She's always dancing. Her clothing is meant to accentuate the fact that she's always in motion. And we really tried to reflect that in the design of the exhibit. We used string curtains throughout to delineate space, but to also pr provide a reference to her in motion and also to her hair, which is such a key part of who Shakira is. Talk to us a little bit about um, her upbringing and some of the achievements that people can go ahead and get educated on here. So one of the things we wanted to do in that exhibit was have an atlas that would help people connect, you know, with where does that music come from and how is she drawn on that? You know, Shakira is famous for her belly dancing, for example. And, you know, when you discover that, you know, her father was Lebanese, um, so this is part of her heritage. And I think when he, when she was four, her dad took her to a um, Middle Eastern restaurant. They were playing Middle Eastern music. She immediately started dancing and, you know, just felt the music and, um, you know, this is just, again, part of who she is. Shakira grows up in Barangia, uh, Colombia, and that was a city that had so many different musical influences, so many different genres, lots of immigrants there. So she's hearing from a, the time that she's born, she's hearing all different kinds of music and just sort of absorbing that into her musical DNA. That impacts her greatly, right? She's got ears for a lot of things. And then throughout her career, she's also drawn widely on a number of different genres from around the world. She just has this incredible ability to organically sort of take that music in. She studies it and then produces work that feels very authentic based on you know what she's learned and studied. One of eight, she's the youngest sibling of eight. The parents recognized that she was musically gifted. At I think six, her dad gave her a typewriter, which she had been asking him for. And so she started writing songs at seven or eight years old. The other thing I think part of with Shakira is her dad was really a dreamer, but not a very good business person. So the family really in many ways looked to her to be, you know, providing financial support. So from a very young age, it was sort of her responsibility to help provide 
income for the family. And I think that's really one of the things that contributes to her ambition. Like, hey, I want to be able to make sure that I'm successful enough that I can help my parents out. Waka Waka, for example, that song has been streamed, that music video has been streamed 3.4 billion times. She has 81 million listeners on Spotify, which is as much as Taylor Swift. And in comparison, I think Adele has 55 million listeners. And, you know, we have this sort of graphic summary at the end about her accomplishments. Part of it was just helping to remind people that she's really a global star. She's not a North American star. She's not an English star. It is global. Her achievements, when you see them in totality, you realize just how much she's accomplished. I see that you guys have the rhyming dictionary there and how meticulous she was with this songwriting. Shakira's, she's just so smart. She speaks six languages. You know, early in her career, she'd had her third album and it was doing really well and um, it was in Spanish. And, you know, of course, the record was like, hey, we want this English crossover success. Why don't we just take this record? We'll translate it. You can sing it phonetically. We'll re-release it. And she said, no. It's not what I want to do. Give me a year. I will learn English. I will write songs in English, and I'll put out a new album. And she did it. You know, she spent a year at her farm in Uruguay learning English. I mean, and you think about it. It's not just learning English. It's being able to create something artistic from that. So learning the language well enough. So one of the things we have on display is her rhyming dictionary in English. And she talks about in the exhibit film about how basically it was an extension of her hand as she wrote that album because it was like, okay, What's another word I can use that will rhyme with that? And, you know, almost every songwriter has one of those. But for her, if you think about it, you know, picking up a second language and then expressing yourself in it artistically, it's incredible. Um, and she did it, and that record was an enormous success. Is there any programming associated to the exhibition by any chance? We've done a couple programs, education programs, where we had three guitar players who have worked with her. And then we're trying to figure out in the in the next couple months other programs. We're talking about possibly having in some directors that have shot some of her music videos. Our hope, and again, this is totally just a hope at this point, but our hope is that at some point Shakira will come to the museum, see the exhibit, but also maybe do a public program as well. That's my dream. Absolutely. Is there any visions of having this travel? Very much so. We want to travel the exhibit. It will be on display for, for a few more months. Uh, but then our goal is to take it not only around uh, North America, but I'd love to take it to South America. So we're very much looking for great venues to bring it. Your favorite piece that you guys have collected for this exhibition? For me, my favorite piece in there is the handwritten song, because again, I just love the fact that it's still pen and paper sitting down in a room and figuring out, okay, how do I write the song? And the rhyming dictionary, because it's so much a part of the craft of songwriting is thinking about, okay, rhyming is such a big part of it. And for her, you know, having those kind of basic tools that anybody has access to, pen and paper, and that's her, I think, at her essence, is a songwriter. Jason, this has been a pleasure. I got to tell you, one of, one of my biggest pastime hobbies or, or just getaways in life is going to museums. And I think that institutions like these represent the world. And when you come to places like this, you got to come with A, time, and B, with an open heart. Because there's a lot of things that one can, you know, consume in, in, in these institutions that can further inspire you to continue to go on your own personal journey. With that being said, Jason, as always, thank you so much for your time. Uh, give me some shout outs. Who do you got to shout out? Is there anybody, your team, or just anybody that needs to hear it? Yeah, we have an amazing curatorial team that helps make all of this possible. So Kelsey Goals, we 
did a huge lift for the power of song, Hilary Morimoto, Serene Cruz, Albert Ortega, all these people are part of our curatorial team. They all work behind the scenes, but they also all make it possible. And then Jasmine lets the world know that all these things exist and helps draw people here to come come enjoy it. What are the hours of operation? When can people come here? Is that some information? Can you let us know? Yeah, we're open six days a week. The only day we're closed is Tuesday, and our hours typically are between 10 and 5. I think there's a couple days where it's 11 and 5, so people should look at the website, grammymuseum.org, to make sure before they visit. As always, thank you so much for tuning in here with us, General Manager, your boy, Phoenix LAX at the Members Pass Pod. Thank you so much for joining us today. Jason, thank you. Phoenix, thank you. Awesome. Hi, I'm Veronica, Miss Lejam. I work at the Phoenix Academy, which is a school which is part of Woodrow Wilson High School in El Sereno. Luckily, we have a great new young teacher here, Miss Madeline Zumiera, and she arranged this field trip to the Grammy Museum, and that's how we were able to get here. It was awesome. I, you know, I didn't know as much about Shakira as from visiting this exhibition. I didn't know about the Caribbean background that she brought with Wyclef Jean, if I pronounce that correctly, and the messages that they put out there about the culture and, and the um, experience of being refugees in this country. It was really fascinating how layered and deep the art is, or how, how, she, how much of an artist she is on all levels. Awesome, awesome. And just to give you guys context, we're reporting live here, waiting or walking with the class back to their bus at the corner of Olympic and Figueroa. Would anyone like to share some experience about their experience with Shakira? I know that Miss Flores knows how to dance like Shakira. I liked more like of the, like we could um, mix up her music and like change up, like her vocals higher and maybe like lower and just like you could also like with headphones you could listen to the music that she was and we listened like her life story and how she became a singer and her background can you tell us your name one more time alexis okay alexis well thank you so much for your time and thank you teachers for your time <laughs>